the beginning of the New Testament, there's four stories that give the life of Jesus, and they're called gospels, which is a word that just simply means good news. So what these four stories basically are, are are four stories of something that's filled and laden and epitomizing of good news, rooted in surrounding who Jesus is and his ministry. Now, two of these stories start with Jesus' birth. And what we're going to be doing these next few weeks together is tracing that entire good news birth story around Jesus that comes from this gospel in the beginning of the New Testament called Luke. And the way I'd like to do this, guys, especially today, is is I'd actually just like to read the story. Let's just soak in the story first. And I want to invite you to follow along with me. You don't have to, but I found that there is a a value to just looking at the details as I carry you through it. And and we're going to start with Luke chapter 1. And what we're going to do is we're going to read it, and then we're going to circle back and talk about what this story has to say. Luke 1, beginning in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well along in years. Now once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. But the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, 
and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Now, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he was staying so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when the time of his service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. I think most of us are familiar with the Christmas story, but I think for most of us, the Christmas story is something that has become fossilized. You know what I mean? For many of us, I think that is the Christmas story. It's one scene fixed in time of baby Jesus in a manger with Mary and Joseph and some cows and goats and maybe a few wise men who came along the way. And, and this becomes, I think for many of us, the sum total of the story. But it's fascinating to me that Luke, as he begins telling the story of Christmas, doesn't even mention Jesus at all for like the first chapter, the first 30 verses that we went through, Jesus' name isn't even spoken. Because the Christmas story is deeper than what we have fixed in one scene right there. And it's filled with all kinds of people. People on spiritual journeys and people who have no care for spiritual journeys. People who are yearning and hoping and waiting and people who don't even know there's something to yearn and hope and wait for. And throughout this story, we're going to see God come. And when God comes, people are never the same again. This December, this Advent season, we're going to be tracing four people for people in the Christmas story and what they were yearning for and hoping for and waiting for and struggling with. And today it begins with a haggard old priest named Zechariah. And Zechariah, as the story says, was a priest. Now let me show you how this works and what this means. It says, if you're looking at verse 5, that he belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife was also a descendant of Aaron. Now, anyone who is born to the tribe of Levi, of which Aaron was kind of like the, 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 the top model of that tribe in ancient past, was automatically, by their family tree, considered able to be a priest. But what this didn't mean is that everyone who was born of the tribe of Aaron would suddenly rush out and be a priest all the time. The way you need to think about this is a lot like the military today. 
Because in Jerusalem, you had the high priests who were there all the time. And I want you to think of them like active duty military personnel. But then you had all these other priests who lived all throughout the region of Israel and Lebanon today and some in other places as well, who served in what you would kind of call the reserves. And what they would do, just like the reserves, is every two weeks travel to Jerusalem to give their time of service at the capital, at the center, at the temple, at the place where the action with God was happening. And this is where Luke brings us into the storyline. There is this, this priest from who knows where doing his work in his hometown, putting that aside for the two weeks to go and serve at the temple and to give the time as was allotted to him. Now it says, if you're following the story closely, that, well, he was chosen by lot in verse 9, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple and burn incense. At any given time at the temple, there would be dozens, if not hundreds, of priests serving, doing all kinds of duties, from offering the sacrifices out front to cleaning up after the animals, to doing line control, to providing security, to doing all the things that were necessary from maintenance to logistics that the temple required. But the chosen ones, certain select ones, by lot it would seem, got the privilege and the honor on their duty of actually going in to the building. And what you need to envision is this this building. This building where the people of Israel claimed that God dwelled. God is the God of heaven and earth and bigger than any building can contain. But in some way and in some fashion, God, in extra concentrate form, hung out in this place. And this haggard old priest named Zechariah gets to go in. Now let me describe to you what he, what, what he would have seen and what he would have been doing. Now it says Zechariah was by the altar of incense, tending to the altar of incense. In this place, this holy place, as it was called, were only three things. There was a candelabra. We might call it a menorah. But it was this this candelabra that was to remain ever lighted. And what it did is it showed and symbolized that, that God's light breaks the darkness. That God's light always shines. That the light of the Lord is here among us. Now another thing that you would see in this temple was a warm plate of bread ever fresh, ever warm, constantly replaced, to show that God is a God who provides, a God who nourishes us day by day. And hearkening back to the days when God miraculously provided for his people. I didn't feel like baking bread today. 
But the third thing you would see is the incense. And to get the visual of this, you've got to see it. Because what the priest would do is take some incense and over hot coals, he would burn it. And the smoke would start to billow up. Except they would do it in far greater quantities than I did here today. And the smoke going up was meant to symbolize the prayers of God's people ever going up before him. That when this priest, who was chosen by Lot to serve in the duty of going into the temple, he stood before the people, offering up prayers to God on their behalf, ever ascending before his throne in heaven. Are you with me? Now you've got to imagine this happening in a lot smaller room. And we're in a pretty big place. But I bet even now, some of you, yeah, you're getting it. Some of you, even in the first rows, are going to start coughing on it, choking on it, smelling it. It's frankincense, if you wonder what that gift was that the kings brought. But I want you to imagine us taking this into that little room right there. I want you to imagine us constantly taking a scoop, pouring more and more incense on the coals until the entire room is pungent and filled with smoke. Not only symbolizing the prayers of God's people ascending up to him, but bringing them back to the day when God would dwell in that temple in the the form of a cloud when God bringing his people through Israel came in the form of a cloud, and in that cloud was his glory, both masking from the most holy place and presence of God's face, and yet at the same time surrounding us in his presence. It probably had a practical function too. You know, if, if temple worship is really just about like slaughtering things and burning them constantly... It's nice to smell something in holy places beyond burning flesh. And in a small room with no windows and no ventilation and priests who did not have the benefit of indoor plumbing, it no doubt served that function as well. And here he is, this priest, doing his duty offering his prayers up to God. And the text says, did you catch it, that Zechariah, he was old. This man was old. And it makes me wonder, how many times did he stand in this temple place, offering up the same prayers on behalf of the people? Again, And again, and again, year after year, praying for the same thing, God come, asking the same thing, God rescue, hoping for the same thing, redeem, only to see the prayers go up and nothing really come down. It says Zechariah was not only old, but that he and his wife were childless. 
I wonder how many times in their own home they knelt together and prayed, God, if you just grant us a child. God, that you'd give us a family. God, that you'd bless. I wonder how many years they offered those prayers up again and again and again, ever going up, never coming down in any tangible, real sort of way. And I can almost imagine this old priest, Zechariah, standing there at this altar of incense, offering this up, resigned. Resigned to the fact that this is just the way things are. Putting hope aside and accepting the reality that this is just the way it's going to be. Israel was old too, you know. It was like 2,000 years before Zechariah ever stood next to that altar that God came to the forefathers of the people of Israel, to this man named Abraham. And he said, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you a name. I'm going to give you a land and you will become a people with descendants more numerous than you could ever count in the stars of the sky or the sand on the seashore. Here's Zechariah unable to have even one with this promise of God that this family would be mighty and that God would protect them. I will bless those who bless you, God said to Abraham. I will curse those who curse you. I got your back. And through you, all nations, all peoples are going to be blessed. And here's Israel with Zechariah standing before them, old, old waiting for that promise of God to Abraham to come true, yearning for the day, praying year after year and century after century for God to come through on his promise with just enough blip on the radar here and there to trick you into hoping again. But now, old and weary, offering the same perfunctory prayers, going through the same motions and routines. Because hope is an exhausting thing when it isn't answered, isn't it? And Luke says, then God appears. 
This messenger of God, this, this angel, comes and actually appears. And, and, and Zechariah is floored. He's taken aback. He's startled. He's afraid. He's surprised, which is really ironic if you think about it, because Zechariah is serving in the very place where God claims to dwell. And then is surprised when God actually shows up. Here he is in this, this very place where God's presence is supposed to be, where he's offering prayers on behalf of the people, immersed in this idea, but not even realizing or expecting that the very essence of what he's doing speaks to a hope he's long since ceased to have, contrary to the person that he's happened to become, that he happens to be. God shows up at that altar of incense. God shows up and says, Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. And you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. The answer to your prayers, but you're going to have a son. The answer to the prayers. And this is going to be no ordinary Child, he is coming to carry out the things that God has spoken of. He is coming to prepare the way. He is coming to get ready this people and this place. Because God is on the move. And he's returning Don't miss it. Don't look away. He says he will come in the spirit and power of Elijah because according to their ancient prophecies, Elijah, that great prophet of old, would return. And he would return before God would appear. Zechariah, it's happening before your eyes here today. Because God is a God who is full of surprises. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, they weren't expecting any of this. Two soul-weary people who live, I think, like a lot of us live in a place between half-faith and half-doubt between clinging on to little bits of hope with an overwhelming sense of resignation, with God appearing in their midst. What's his response? Give me a sign. Prove it. I love it. I'll give you a sign. You will no longer speak. Until this comes to happen. Can you imagine while those people are waiting outside the temple? Like, what is taking him so long? And then you go out. How do you communicate through charades? A message, an experience like that. There are certain things I wish I could see. But God showed. God appeared. God came to this weary, old, haggard priest named Zechariah that day. 
full of surprises. And yet, ironically, with no new thing, but rooted in the ancient plans and ways that God had promised would always be. Showing Zechariah that when God makes a promise, God keeps it. Moving this tired, old, haggard priest from a place of half doubt and question to a place of yearning and hope and maybe once again daring to believe. Where have you traded hope and expectation for resignation and acceptance that this is just the way it's going to be? My prayer for you today is that like Zechariah, you shift from that place and come to a place where you dare to risk and hope and believe. Now the band's gonna come forward and they're going to lead us in a song. It's a carol that usually doesn't make top 10 on the radio playlists, but one that has a deep and ancient past. One that might be new to some of you, one that may have been sung by others of you here time and time again. Maybe time so much that it's become like the smoke going up from Zechariah the priest. Something we say and something we do but devoid of the substance within. I want to encourage you to sing it otherwise today. I want to encourage you to actually allow the words to become something that taps your heart and moves you to that place like Zechariah of expectation. So, if you'd rise. Picking up at verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. 
Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed. And he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. How long do you pray for something? How long do you keep offering it up until you stop? Or step away. Or change focus. Or give up. And how long do you ask? And keep asking when no answer is given. How long do you wait for God to speak? When he's silent. In the time of Zechariah, this priest, ancient Israel found themselves in this place of the silent God. A place where they believed that God had stopped speaking, had stopped sending his prophets. I love how their historians put it. A place where God was no longer sending his spokespeople to give a word from him to the people, wondering and questioning and waiting. What do we do? How long do we wait? What does this mean? What's the answer to this? What do I keep hoping for here today? How long did Zechariah offer those kinds of prayers on behalf of the people, but inside given up a long time ago, saying the words but not saying them, if you know what I'm saying here today? Going through the religiosity of it all, but devoid of substance, of emotion, of meaning? How long did he do it for himself? How long did he do it for Israel? In many ways, Zechariah's life is a microcosm. It's a mirror image of the nation of Israel, of their longing and waiting, or better put, resignation and acceptance of the way things happened to be. But just like with Zechariah, what Luke shows us is that God's word springs forth. That God has been silent. God is a God who is not unable to speak. And with a fresh word and a fresh hope, he comes to this tired, old, haggard priest showing that God 
is on the move and full of surprises and true to his plans and purposes and word. That God is a God who can be hoped in, trusted, yearned for. That God is a God who is speaking again. What are the things that you spend your time thinking about you know, through the day? You know, the stuff you worry about and obsess about and kind of find yourself just planted in the stuff that you kind of talk about and listen to. Got to get the car fixed. How are we going to pay that bill? I hope I don't see blank today. Right? I wonder for Zechariah. In a world with no radio or TV or internet. What do you do to occupy your mind? What do you think about and talk about? My feet hurt. How much longer do I got to stand in this place? I want to go home. I miss my family. I'm hungry. I wonder what they're doing for dinner right now. It's little things, isn't it? Isn't that really what we spend most of our days thinking about, most of our time thinking about, worrying about, obsessing about, gravitating for those, those little mundane things throughout life? And yet I think that for many of us, if we step back from that a minute and, and, and spend some time to really kind of come face to face with it, there's a deeper sense of something as well, a deeper sense that something is just not right. That things are not the way they're supposed to be. And I think for some, even from there, maybe even just a few, there's another place even deeper than that and behind that that goes, well, even though things are not right and things are not the way they're supposed to be, it can be set right. That God will come to set things right. And all of this comes crashing together in Zechariah when God opens his mouth and allows him to speak. And this is what he says. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. 
as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Because sometimes when it all comes crashing together, it just has to all come out. Now I tell you, in moments like that when I have, it comes out like a twinkle, twinkle little star or something like that. But this guy had words. There was some pent-up feelings in this guy. Would you agree? And in a day and age before plugging in. You made your own music when there was nothing to listen to or to to conjure on demand. You made your own, and he breaks out into this song, this this prayer, this anthem, this, this cheer. It all comes gushing out. That despite years of weariness, years of resignation, years of half-doubt, disbelief, offering it up through the motions, checked out inside, realizing again there is a God who comes, a God who redeems, a God who raises up, a God who saves from enemies. That there is a God who shows mercy and remembers and rescues and enables. A God who keeps his word. A God who comes. A God who is full of surprises. What's occupying your mind already? is we get pushed out of thanksgiving into this season that our world marks with monikers and cliches like love and joy and peace. What kind of worries and soul weariness of empty religiosity? What places of resignation an acceptance that this is just the way things are going to be. Do you find yourself thinking about and wrestling with? My prayer for you this Advent season is that like Zechariah, you to discover a God who is full of surprises. A God who does these kinds of things and step away from a resigned weariness to the willingness to risk faith Hope. Again. I'd like to invite you to rise.
As part of the song or, or prayer, Zechariah says this. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins that this one named John would prepare the way for God's people for you. A way of knowledge of salvation and forgiveness of sins. And like Zechariah prayed, I just want to kind of invite you to take some time now to pray. And, and prepare your own heart to come to God with whatever those things are that you wrestle with like Zechariah did, like Israel did. And to exchange him there today with humility, honesty, and repentance for the way of salvation and forgiveness that God promised to Zechariah and continues to bring. Let's pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. But for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Listen to what Zechariah said next. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path our feet into the path of peace because of this hope certainty assurance forgiveness salvation to you today the prayer of Zechariah maybe Honestly, we just make it our own prayer. Just take his words to allow our own souls to speak. Pray with me today. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David 
as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come, will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. Peace.